Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Wednesday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. We've got my old friend, Super Talk Mississippi's Brian Haydad on to preview the Egg Bowl. We talked a lot more big picture stuff about Mississippi State's tumultuous season, the importance of the new hire coming up for Zach Selman in a relatively new athletic department. What went wrong this season and how Zach Arnett lasted just 10 games and everything in between and a little bit about the game as well, of course. So buckle up. I think you'll really enjoy this interview. Maybe to get you a little bit more ready for the game. Before we get to that, though, I want to take one quick break to remind you. If this podcast is brought to you by Seaspire, it's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves with the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local service based out of the Southeast with industry-low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself a hassle by not waiting for your internet to connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online today to cspire.com slash home and use the promo code RIPPY at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this show, sign up for Seaspire Home Internet today and use RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. You get the first month free. How awesome is that? Can't be waiting for the internet to drop. I've got Seaspire Home Internet. It is the best. You should do it too. Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox at the top of the sports handicapping industry. There is literally no better time of the year to sign up for Skybox than right now. College basketball, their bread and butter that they rake in every year is heating up. You've got the end of the college football season, bowl games coming up. Sign up for a picks package today. And get yourself a little holiday extra money to, you know, spend on Christmas presents or doing whatever the hell it is you like to do. They are the professionals. It is all based on math. Don't be the guy that loses every single week because your own leans 15 minutes before kickoff. Go online cease, uh, to skyboxsportspicks.com. Select a picks package within your price range. You can try it with a day, a week, a month. I'd recommend going with the year-long all-access pass. It'll pay for itself. And then some... Sign up, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That gets you 20% off at checkout. And boom, you get your picks in a color-coded spreadsheet, and you are more equipped to profit than you are before signing up for Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Right subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats right now. If you're a Rippy Right subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon-wrapped fillets. For 20 bucks, if it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better. People will be like, where the hell did you get this awesome stuff? Like LB's University Avenue in Oxford. It is a crown jewel of the South, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here's Hey Dad. All right, we now welcome on my former Super Talk cohort, Super Talk Mississippi State man, potentially my father. Paternity results were uh, inconclusive. Brian Haydad, it's been a long year, dude. We were talking about this right before we started recording. Have you taken up smoking? How, how are you making it through? 
I, I don't eat anymore. And uh, so I just, I just gave up on that. And uh, it, it's it, health wise, it's been beneficial, but I hate my life and want to die. So as we approach what is kind of one of the weirder egg bowls in recent memory, what let's just start at the beginning. I, this is a loaded question, but like what happened? How did this get to this point? I think our, Zach Arnett was not ready for the job that he decided to take. You know, he in the moment uh, where he was offered the job, he, he thought he was doing what was best for the program. Uh, you know, that they, they needed the continuity. They needed to be able to get through this with him at the helm. But he was not ready to be the big man. And if you watched Arnett as a defensive coordinator and the way he reacted to things on the sidelines, and then you watched him as a head coach, it was like watching two different guys. Um, no, no enthusiasm, no fire. He just sat there with his arms folded most of the game, didn't speak. And it, it was really painful to watch him. He, you could tell towards the end, he, he, he would have rather have been anywhere, but right there on the sidelines. And so it was almost a, a mercy killing when, uh, when they fired him on the Monday after the Texas A&M game. I listened to you and Robbie talk about that on your podcast a couple of times throughout this year. And that part of it's interesting to me because like when Ole Miss hired Matt Luke and it was a different situation, but he's an interim guy, he like dialed it back some. I mean, he was real, real fiery as an offensive line coach. Mm -hmm. It was a little more, I would say, stoic as a head coach, but it was still the same guy. It was the same personality. And hearing you guys talk about why like he changed him changing, and it was very evident watching him on the sideline, it made it more true watching it after you guys pointed that out. Why do you think he did that? Because he was a good defensive coordinator. Um, I thought it may end up being a pretty good hire and working out. Why do you think he decided to become something he was not? I, I don't know the answer to that. You know, maybe there was some thought of like, hey, now you're the head coach. You can't be this ornery, you know, over-the-top, angry guy. You got to be a little bit more face of the program. But it went way too far. And, and you know, he he didn't react to anything. Bad calls, blown assignments. You know, he be, it felt like he was barely talking to his players on and off the field. You know, if you you saw him, the only people he was really talking to were a couple of analysts most of the game. And, and it just, I don't know who did that, who who had that discussion with him. I would just say they did him a great disservice because you can't win in anything at life unless you're being yourself. You you can't you can't be somebody else and hope to be successful at things. So. It, it was just a, a a really bad miscalculation by somebody, and it ended up costing Zach Arnett his job. Did his demeanor change press conference was? Yeah, big time. Big time. He, he used to be a ball breaker. You know, I'd have him on, and he would just be like, well, I think that's a bad question. I don't think you know what you're talking – I mean, in, in a friendly, joshing kind of way, but he he had attitude about it. And his press conferences as head coach were the most regurgitated coach speak. You know, it was – I mean, it was like somebody – who was an actor who wasn't a coach trying to give you coach speak. It didn't even sound like a coach saying it, you know, we've had Greg Knox these past couple of weeks as the interim and it's still coach speaky, but it's delivered with the, with the, the right cadence and the right belief that you're like, okay, he believes what he's saying. Arnett felt like he was reading a script. It, it was, it was really something a case study could be done on it almost. Offensively has been an interesting subplot of all of this because they talked about you know are you going to wean off the air raid or are you kind of going to go rip the entire band-aid off and try to transition and Ar Arnett elected to do the latter but yeah. even with that being the case I get the air raids a very specific offense I get the fact I mean you and I joked last time like what do you do with the tight end room when there are no tight ends I get yeah. there's a lot of change but watching Mississippi State particularly early on in the year when they still had real Rogers healthy it wasn't just that the offense didn't make any sense whether the personnel was wrong or not it was a lot of stuff behind the line of scrimmage I'm not even a football savant by any stretch, but it was incredibly predictable. I think back to that LSU game 
What was it a bad hire or was it a bad decision to not wean off the air raid? It could be both. Uh, okay. I, I don't think that Barbe was a good hire at this point. Uh, you know, he spent the entire offseason talking about stretching the field vertically and, you know, a lot of, I guess, coach speaky things, getting the ball to your playmakers, playing your best 11. And yet, state's best 11 does not include a tight end. It, it just doesn't. Ryland Godey has been a total bust for Mississippi State coming over from Georgia. You know, but they 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 don't want to go just four wide and and try to incorporate a little bit more array to be successful. Will Rogers, you know, he didn't want to be labeled as a system quarterback, but that's what he is. He's a system quarterback. He can be successful in the right air raid style system, and my guess is that's what's going to happen next year. But he will uh, he in this system in a pro style system that you know, where you maybe need a little bit more mobility out of your quarterback. He doesn't. He didn't really thrive. He only had one game this year where he was really good, and that was against South Carolina, where he threw for nearly 500 yards, and that was the one game where State's offense kind of looked like what they talked about all offseason. They threw the ball down the field, and but by and large, this has been a very, very frustrating offense to watch. And I thought last week, you know, with Arnett gone, I thought, well, maybe Barbe will let it rip a little bit. You know, he's got nobody holding him back. No, it was the same game plan, same kind of stuff, and. If they had been playing somebody other than Southern Mississippi, they probably would have lost. Was it a kind of a lost cause once Will got hurt? Because, I mean, I, I saw there were calls for Mike Wright and you know, whether he, was he going to be used as a package guy. It seemed like to me, though, at that point in the season, if if the off, I know the offense was struggling and limited already, but it seemed like what they could do with Wright after Rodgers went down was even more limited just because of what he was as a passer. Yeah, you, you didn't realize how poor a passer he was until he got the starting job, you know. And I didn't think State did a great job with him prior to the injury I, I thought they were you know they they said they had a package for him but the, he would run one play and then come off the field it, it never really made a lot of sense and it goes back to Barbe I just don't think he had a really good game plan at the end of it but Mike Wright's limitations of the passer stalled out this offense in a way that it was it was hard to believe state scored 26 points offensively in four games uh from from Arkansas through uh through Texas A&M um, and, and they, they, you know, they, they made another change. They went to the true freshman, Chris Parson. And, you know, you see some flashes there, but not ready, just, just not even close to ready. So it, it's weird that Rogers has not played particularly well this year, but with him on the field, they at least at times look like a competent offense without him. They look like the worst team in college football. Is there any sort of blame? I know they were so limited and it was such kind of a cluster from a schematic standpoint and everything else. I haven't heard a lot of talk about like a personnel group to where it's like, all right, that's just not cutting it, right? You air raid offensive lineman versus normal system. It seems like it's been so bad that it, you can't even really get to that level of it. Is there is any personnel let them down or has they just been so handicapped by the scheme that you can't even really tell? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit, of, it depends on the game. You know, there's some games where the receivers are dropping passes. You've got some games where the line is, is not doing a good job blocking, and then Rodgers hasn't been great this year. And that to me is just it's just overall coaching, right? And when 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 one person's bad, okay, I can blame it on one person. Sort of state the same problem state had with pitching last year. It's like when everybody's bad, that's a coaching issue. So state state's offensive staff. I mean, they hired all of the offensive coaches prior to hiring Barbe. So he came into a staff and he was like, I guess I have to work with these guys. Uh, like I said, they met you made the point. They, they, they went away from the air raid with such quickness. I mean, it wasn't even, you know, Hey, we're going to take a couple years and we'll incorporate some air raid and we'll incorporate our stuff. And then maybe two years from now we can be where we want to be. It was just, no, we're not doing that anymore. And you see the results of that. And at, at the time, you know, it's not like the air raid last year was this incredibly explosive offense state struggled offensively a season ago. But it's been so much worse this year because you've got Rodgers who basically 
the air raid is the system he can thrive in, and outside of it, he's just he's just not very good. What was the point? What was the game where it it turned and it was like, hey, this is not going to work out? Because oddly enough, after watching State a little bit early on in the year, stopped watching them for a few weeks. It became a tough watch, as you're well versed in. Yeah, like even like they win the road game at Arkansas, and I was like. That, that almost made me feel worse about it. It's like they yeah. win the game seven to three, but it's like that that was horrendous for three hours. What was the turning point where you're like, okay, this this can't continue? It was really early. If you go back and watch the Arizona game, uh, which and I know Arizona's changed quarterbacks, but state beating Arizona is one of the weirdest results this season. Um, but state forced five turnovers in that game and had to go into overtime to win it. Normally you get plus five turnovers, you're winning by four touchdowns. Easily. And, and you know, Arnett came in there after the game. He was like, yeah, we overcame our bad coaching. And it's just like that that did not look right out there. That, 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 that the offense was not good defensively. You know, turno- you know, this turnovers are there's a lot of luck involved in turnovers, um, especially when you don't have an All-American. You know, it's one thing when you have Emmanuel Forbes and you know he's going to pick off six passes and he's going to take away half of the field. You know, state. This is a stat. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's, it's almost hard to believe. State has six interceptions as a team. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, seven interceptions as a team. Four of them are from linebackers, and three are from one safety. So State doesn't wow. have any picks from any cornerbacks and any safety not named Sean Preston. So that game happens, and then the LSU game happens, and State was so poor offensively in that game. You know, giving up a lot of points to LSU, it's fine. I mean, Jaden Daniels is the best player in college football. And then, you, you know, two weeks later, you watch LSU can't stop Ole Miss at all, and you're like, okay, so it's, LSU's defense is not good, and State had 220 yards of offense against them. So after the LSU game, I was looking around saying, this this isn't happening, this isn't going to work. He's got to turn it around pretty quickly. And then when they lost to Auburn, it was like, he's probably not. When he, they lost to Auburn, and you started seeing articles come out from guys like Andy Staples and, uh, and Brandon Marcello saying, hey, Zach Arnett could be on the hot seat. First-year coaches don't get put on hot seat articles unless there's crimes involved, usually. And when you saw his contract and the way they set it up, you know, that it, they were only going to have to pay half the, the 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 buyout and they had a mitigation clause. It was pretty obvious they set that contract up as an ejection seat. And if it wasn't going to go right after year one, they could get away from it and not cost a ton of money. Which is smart from a long-term planning standpoint, a pretty smart move by the administration. Yeah. That Auburn game I thought was probably going to be end up being your answer because they win the Arkansas game and it's like, hey – Auburn sucks. If you can go over there and find a way to win the game and you're six and six with a shot to go seven and five, even though that doesn't look terrible, it's like, okay, that's enough to justify next year. But I remember turning on the television, it was like 14 nothing Auburn. I was like, I don't understand. I thought this game kicked off at 245 or three o'clock. Yeah. I was like, what, what happened? It, it's some of that. It was part of the tipping point, just them coming out flat in a game like that, given the opportunity to right the ship. Part of it, yeah, for sure. But I mean, they play really poorly offensively against Arkansas, and and, yeah. and you, like you said, watching that game, and you're just like, this is not what college football is supposed to be like on both sides. I mean, I thought Pittman should have gotten fired after that game as well. Um, but yeah, the Auburn game to play against a team that was so bad offensively most of the year that couldn't throw the ball on anybody, and then Peyton Thorne had like 250 yards passing in the first half against Mississippi State, and they couldn't do any. I mean, at that point, you kind of knew where it was headed. I thought he would last the season, but they the way they were handled by Texas A&M. And then A&M, despite winning by 41, was, thought that that win was so irrelevant that there was like, doesn't matter. we got to fire Jimbo Fisher. I don't feel like State had a lot of choice. And Zach, or Zach Selman addressed that in his press conference. He said, there's, just, there's no juice around this. But that, that's a word I've been using a lot. 
this season. Like, there's just no excitement with Mississippi State football. It's a boring product. The end game, you know, the stadium atmosphere is kind of dull and 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 it feels very dated. And there's just not a lot that makes you want to come to the stadium. And and State, I think Selman thought with two games against your in-state rivals coming up that you wanted to be able to count on some fans coming in. I, I last week I thought State had a pretty decent crowd, it was around forty thousand. But if Arnett had still been the head coach, I, I don't know that there would have been 20,000 in that stadium for that one. Perhaps the more inexplicable part of it, too, is the defensive side. They had a lot of guys coming back this year. You know, your head coach was the defensive coordinator, and he was a very good one at that. His game plan in the Egg Bowl last year was was phenomenal. How does that happen? Does, did he take the reins off too much? How do you drop so much defensively, given what you thought the defense would be coming into the year? That that's one of the reasons I think that really played into his dismissal was that if, if State was was locking teams up defensively, but they just couldn't move the football, there would have been like, okay, they they made a mistake on the offensive side and they can get that corrected. But being bad, they were so bad defensively, especially early in the season, uh, that it just didn't make any sense. And Matt Brock was a guy that you know he was State special teams coordinator two years ago, and State was awful on special teams, um, and. Then they moved him to the to linebackers coach. Eric Melee takes over special teams, and all of a sudden, State has great special teams. So he wasn't a good special teams coordinator, and he wasn't Arnett's friend or anything. Like he came in with Leach. It's not like Arnett brought him on board as, as a guy. So it did. It never really made a ton of sense, but it just has not gone well. And I know losing, like I said, losing Emmanuel Forbes, losing a first round pick hurts. But State over the last few years, I mean, they lose Cam Dantzler, but they have Martin Emerson. Then they lose Emerson, but they have Forbes. And DeCameron Richardson was a guy that, you know, prior to the season was getting some, hey, he could be a second-day pick in the NFL draft. No, he'll be back next year because nobody's taken that guy. He's been awful this year. And they just – they don't have any playmakers on that side of the ball. I mean, Johnson and Watson are, are good players. And I think he's saying the same thing about Jet Johnson. If he ran a 4-5, he'd be the third or fourth pick in the draft coming up. That guy's the smartest football player. He's always in position, but he lacks the athleticism to, to, to run down a lot of SEC athletes. But – they just don't. They don't have that stud defensive tackle they've had in years past. They they just they just they lack star power and they're poorly coached. So when you have that, you know, when you have that combination, it's just never going to go well. Do you feel like he became disconnected from his players at all toward the end? I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, he just you see the players just walk past him on the onto the field, off the field. He wouldn't really say anything. You think about coaches, man. They'll grab a player and be like, "Hey, you know what happened on that?" Well, especially you know if a third down doesn't go right or. Something, they're going to grab me like, so what happened there? They have a conversation. He never did any of that. He would just stand there and look. And I'm telling you, the, the guy, the Kentucky from from Auburn through A and M, watching him was just he, he he was like just any other fan just watching the game. I don't know how much impact he really had. And he seemed like a likable guy, which is kind yeah. of what he, his career's now in a weird place. Like, what do you figure the next step for him? You think he gets another DC oh, job and is fine? Yeah, he's a good enough defensive coordinator that that he'll get a good job. I mean, he's a West Coast guy, so I wouldn't be totally surprised if USC gave him a look. He interviewed with LSU a couple of years ago when Orgeron was still down there and ended up not taking that job, but could, could possibly be a guy there. He'll be in demand, I think, as a defensive coordinator. So what next, hire-wise? You know, this Ole Miss was in – when you talk about lack of juice, I mean, I, I go back to the column I wrote when Carter hired Kiffin where he said we needed to make a splash. And now the sim situations are not completely similar, but it does feel like State needs a, a jolt of energy. Yeah. With this hire, do you feel like as worthless as winning the press conferences sometimes, do you feel like there needs to be some of that with this hire that everyone is excited about it? 
Yes, a hundred percent. They 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 do need to to win. They need to do a couple of things that aren't football related. One is win the press conference. They need to have somebody that comes in that gets people talking about Mississippi State. That that people are saying, "Wow, can't believe they got that guy." Uh, some of that. I think they need to find a proven winner and pay him like a proven winner. You know, I understand why they only gave Arnett three million dollars a year. Right, first time head coach. He'd never been doing it before. But we live in a world where Ole Miss is paying their head coach nine nine and a half million. So you can't look cheap. Right. So I'm not saying state should bring a guy in at $10 million just to say they one up to Ole Miss, but they should find a guy that they feel comfortable paying six, six and a half million dollars a year to and give him that from the start and, and and go from there. So they need to do those a couple of things like that. And then I think the main thing they need to do is they need to find a guy who will bring some offensive excitement. When's the last time state was exciting offensively? You know, Dak Prescott's junior year, maybe that was a really good offensive team. But, you know, Moorhead's offenses were, were were very boring. Leach's offenses were boring. And this year has been incredibly uh, like a throwback to the Croom days. They need somebody who can put points on the scoreboard and get fans talking. I mean, you go back to Kiffin's first year, right? That wasn't a great Ole Miss team. They won five games. They, they were good. They would have probably been, what, an eight-win team uh, if, they, if they had played a regular schedule. But defensively, they were a train wreck. But the games were exciting. You know, that stick, losing to Alabama 63-48 is better than losing to Alabama 49 to 9. I mean, if you're going to lose one way or the other, I'd rather lose I'd rather at least be thinking I'm in the game. That's a good example of it too because oh, there was never any point as they're going score for score with Alabama. It's like they're not winning this game, but I mean, I guess if there's a chance if you know if someone, you know, fumbles or there's a turnover, hey, you're kind of in it and you're scoring a bunch of points. Mm-hmm. That game's always wild to me because Weldon pointed this out the other week. Alabama scored every possible point within the 60 minutes of a football game. They scored a touchdown on every single yeah, drop. Like they, they physically without going for two could not have scored more points in the football game, which is always kind of wild to think about. Yeah. The search is still unfolding. You feel like they've zeroed in on a couple candidates. Do you have a preference? Where's kind of the temperature of yourself or the fan base of like who they want to hire and who might be realistic? I think it's still pretty open. I, I expect, I mean, my, my timeline was thinking, you know, next week around the SEC championship game, start stuff would start leaking out when everybody's season starts finishing up. Um, I, I think States inter- was interested in Jamie Chadwell at Liberty. Uh, there's a lot of conflicting info on him. There are some people saying, no, not interested. There are some people saying, no, he is interested. Uh, so my guess is the truth is somewhere in the middle on that one. Um, the, the the wild card would be G.J. Kinney at Texas State, who's just – he doesn't have a, much of a track record. He's 33. He's been a head coach for two years. He's been very successful at his two stops, but that, I mean, that's a real roll of the dice. It would be interesting as Selman – who you got to think is a young guy himself. This is his first big hire. This is the hire that, you know, if he's going to be the next athletic director at a big school, he's got to get this one right. So I don't know if he would want to tie his name to that. Willie Fritz's name has been out there, but I'm interested. Fritz without Michael Pratt has not been the most successful coach in the world. So it's great when you have an NFL quarterback, you know, that it's easy to win then. Can you do it without them? I, I don't know if that's if that's the case there. John Sumrall over at Troy. Is interesting, but he's a defensive coach, and I don't know if that's the way State wants to go. And then you're hearing a couple of names that, I mean, frankly, they just don't excite me, and that's Barry Odom and Dave Doran, former Ole Miss head coach Dave Dave hey, Doran. What uh, an era! Yeah, <laughs> where where their their names have popped up because I do know that he wants a, like a proven head coach. I don't know how Odom is a proven head coach. He's had one great season this year at UNLV. He was really mediocre at uh, at Mizzou. And Doran has been kind of sort of like Dan Mullen without the really high spots at, at NC State. He's never had a 10-win season, never finished in the top 15 or anything like that. So 
I hope those aren't. I hope those aren't the options for state. You know, if state's best case scenario would, I, I should have mentioned Rhett Lashley as well, but I, I don't know that he's. I think he's willing to to sit out another year and wait for his alma mater, Arkansas, to open up. So, those are the guys that you're probably going to hear the most. And but that being said, Moorhead wasn't really on these lists to start. Leach wasn't really on the list to start. So I don't know that Mullen was back in the in the, those days. So it, it may be somebody off the radar. We'll get back to hate at in just one second, but before we do, I wanted to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Haydad. That Doran Odom category is kind of the direction you feel like they can't go right because that when you talk about getting everyone excited pulling in the same right. direction if dave doran is introduced at a press conference how much of the fan base is like let's do it let's get behind this guy yeah. and it may be wrongly so he could end up being fine but yeah. when you talk about the winning the press conference i think that's like the perfect example of like man this is just lukewarm yeah and that, it'd be a tepid response at, at best to a guy you know because what are you selling that you know he was moderately successful at north carolina state I mean, that's that's a tough sell. You know, his offenses aren't he's not an offensive coach. He's a defensive coach. Uh, his offenses at North Carolina aren't incredibly exciting. He's not an elite recruiter. What what am I selling to you at this point that he's that he's won more than he's lost? Well, I can find a lot of coaches that can do that. So, yeah, this is such an interesting hire for Zach Selman. You know, I, I feel like I jinxed him a few like, right after he got hired. I interviewed him for my live show. And I made the comments like, well, you got a first-year football coach, two first-year basketball coaches, and your baseball coach just won a national title. I don't think you're going to be doing any hiring for a while. And now he's got to hire a football coach and probably will be hiring a baseball coach at the end of the season and could have easily had to do it this past year. You could sell Doran as, you know, rare air, him and Duty Noble. They coached on both sides of the rivalry. Like, that that could, that could happen. So. But they, Dave, like the, Dave Doran, I know what hell was like. I took a plane to Oxford one time. <laughs> It's an interesting hire. Like it's it's fascinating on so many levels. You talk about the proven renter versus the young guy. Where you talk about like a guy like Kenny at Texas State took over disastrous situation where that former guy there 
uh, basically alienated high schools there by going the Juca route. Like he's cleaned up a huge mess in a very short amount of time. Yeah. But you mentioned he's young. And so like, how do they thread that needle and land in the middle? I know I'm asking you just to throw something at the wall here, but if you, if I put a gun to your head, I was like, who's the coach in a week and a half? Who would you, who would you venture on it being? Some wrong. That'd be a good one. Even though it's the defensive side, he's a sharp guy. He spent some time at Ole Miss. 21 and four. I mean, that's, that's tough to sneeze at. Yes, it is. No matter who you're playing, no matter where you're at, that would probably be one. I think that would be a great hire. I think that would in- instantly be a thorn in Ole Miss's side and an issue for Ole Miss as well. But would he, like, he, given he would the, need to the get offensive a, an part, offensive coordinator though, he would need to get somebody in who can who can bring some excitement. That's exactly where I was going next. Was like that would need to accompany a very exciting, exotic. I know, I know what he. I, what I would do if I was him is I'd reach out to the guy that State thought they were going to hire last year and see if you can go get Kendall Bryles. From uh from TCU, that would excite people. Yeah. So this Egg Bowl, a fascinating one. Ole Miss opens is like a 13, 14 point favorite or whatever. That's not outrageous. I don't think Ole Miss will lose this game, but if there's a path to state winning the football game, lay it out for me. I think the the first thing they have to do, you know, I say this a lot that it's an upset when it's not seven nothing Ole Miss after the first possession. That Kiffin is the best play scripter in in the business. Get off the field on that first possession. Get the crowd into the game, hit a big play, and then sort of take off from there. You know, I, I know that Ole Miss has been struggling up front these past couple of games. They've had some injuries, so get after Jackson Dart. I know he's a little banged up. I I don't think he. I think the 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 rumors that he might not he might might not play in this game are way way ridiculous. He, he's definitely going to play, but make him work. You know, uh, make him scramble, make him make him you know, take some hits. You know, that's sort of what they did last year. They were they were very physical with Dart. They were very physical with Judkins. 17 tackles for loss. Um, I don't know if they can do that again because, you know, they, they don't have the same talent up front that they had a season ago. But Watson and Johnson have got to control the line of scrimmage as best they can, limit Judkins and Bentley as best they can. It's just about, you know, when you think about upsets and how they happen, you know, it's it's about staying close until the fourth quarter. It's about, you know, not making any mistakes. Um, and it's about, you know, taking advantage of the mistakes that are given to you. And then if you can go to the fourth quarter and, you know, you're within seven, you you, you got a, a real opportunity. But, you know, my fear with this game is that Ole Miss gets up seven, nothing, and then state goes three and out and then it's 14, nothing. And then the, the game is basically over. Yeah. The, the dart is playing in this game. The Kiffin low thing is fascinating to me. They seem to be close, but like, what if I was a coach and you were a reporter and every time I gave you a piece of information last year, the exact opposite was true. And like the intent was to get it out there. The opposite. I'll probably just stop talking to you. I I have yet to figure that one out. That that one boggles the mind. Eventually he'll give him something that is true. And you know, (laughs) hope for the best one for five. It's a great hit rate. Last thing on the, the coaching piece of it is where state is at in this changing time, for better or for worse, Ole Miss hired Kiffin at a very pivotal time with the portal and NIL and having the excitement is, I guess, in, if you could articulate it, how important is this hire and how much is the fear of this one goes wrong? Where are you at as a program in three, four years? It's huge. And this, to me, is the same hire that state made in 2009 when they brought in Dan Mullen. You know, they had Kroom and... The program was out of play. I mean, you, you go back to that the 2008 Egg Bowl, right? Ole Miss beats Mississippi State 45 to nothing. And they fire Kroom, and you're like, oh, my gosh, Ole Miss is about to take off and be this real contender in the SEC and State's in a lot of trouble. You bring in Dan Mullen, and within one year, he's closed the gap. And then two years later, uh, Houston Nutt is fired, and Mississippi State is, 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 you know, doing what they've been doing for the past you know decade, which is going to bowl games. 
So if State blows this higher with Kiffin at Ole Miss, because Kiffin is is doing better than Nutt did, then State's going to be in a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. I mean, especially with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, this is not the time to fall behind. So State has to get this higher right. If they get this higher right in, in this day and age with the transfer portal, they'll they'll flip the few, the few pieces on the roster, and they'll be right back at it next year winning football games. But if they get it wrong – it is going to be a miserable two, three years of, of that. And then you're talking about an athletic director who I said, you know, he has higher aspirations than Mississippi State. Going to be difficult to achieve those if you hire a dud football coach. Absolutely. The Mullen example is a great one. And I don't know if he sends Nut a Christmas card every year, but Nut just be, after two years, once he got out of Orgeron's recruits, was like, yeah, I'm good. Like, I'm just going to collect this check till they finally can be. I've checked out probably. <laughs> we had I had Mullen on the podcast this past week. I should have asked him. Like, How was that? It was really fun. We just talked about the games. I didn't talk about, you know, his name was brought up early in the search, and I, I think he's kind of made it clear he's is not interested in coming back. But um, it was fun. It was fun. He he had some laughs. I, I did ask him if he knew what Nico Whitley said to Bo Wallace uh, when he teabagged him in the end zone there, and he's like, I oh, just had some choice words for him. That's all. So, <laughs> yeah. Now Bo all. Wallace is – talk about anger on Twitter. It's like that guy. Yes. You say Calm the down, sky's buddy. gray and he'll just come at you and be like, no, it's blue and you're an idiot for thinking anything else. That's a yeah. then he'll delete it, to TV And then he'll tell you that he, awesome. uh, he cooked you on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get cooked online. That's my biggest fear in life is getting cooked online uh, by a former <laughs> Ole Miss quarterback. Yeah. Dude, Mullen's transition to TV has been awesome. Like I know it like base level as a coach, he was like kind of an asshole, but like he was yeah. witty too. And I don't think he got enough credit for it sometimes. I, I'm yeah. actually not very surprised he's good on TV. Are you? I, I think a lot of the, like his wittiness, you know, you think about in this state, especially Ole Miss fans just didn't want to like the guy. Right. And, you know, it's like, I, I hate that guy. I think some of you get some of that with Kiffin with, with state. Like I can't, I can't get behind that. No, I'm not surprised at all. Cause it, for two reasons, one, like you said, he's smart, he's witty guy and he knows football. So, I mean, I think he, he, he's a good, he's a good, uh, a good fit for that. I mean, the, the tweet he threw out last week on, uh, is, are we sure the right coach in LA is on the hot seat? I mean, that is just savage. He absolutely destroyed Lincoln Riley right there. It was incredible to, to read. Without saying his name, which is just kind of a chef's kiss on top of it. Will Rogers, is this his last game in a Mississippi State uniform or bowl game whenever it comes? What is his future at Mississippi State, if any? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think this is the last game at Davis White Stadium for Will Rogers. Um, I, I thought that back in the offseason, and my thought was he'll have a successful year and show that he's not a system quarterback and then move on to the NFL or or whatever. But that hasn't been the case. So my my guess is he tries to find a spot that runs an offense that's a little bit more of his style. My first thought is Western Kentucky, where former MSU uh, quarterbacks coach Drew Hollingshead is now the offensive coordinator. He runs an air raid system. Uh, could end up with somewhere like that. Could possibly end up at Southern Miss, playing with his brother uh, down there. So I, I, I would be very surprised if Will Rogers – takes another snap for Mississippi State beyond this football game. Wrapping up here, just the uh, – if State were to win this game, what would that mean other than just like a gigantic middle finger to your in-state rival as you're in transition? Like, does it have any long-term implication at all? What more do you need? Than yeah, just exactly. the middle finger. Well, I mean, you're bowl eligible with that. Yeah, that's and, fair. And there's a lot of talk that State can still go to a bowl. State could do the five and seven thing this year. There's not enough six and six teams, it looks like, and State's APR is in a good spot. Um, and then they would actually go to a like a SEC bowl because you think Arkansas, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, those school Florida, probably not going bowling. So you got a chance to maybe end up in the Liberty Bowl, something like that. Um, but you know, 
I don't know if there's there's long-term ramifications, but there'd just be a, a really positive feeling around Mississippi State for the first time since the season kicked off. And then you lead that into announcing a new head coach that you hope is going to be one that fans can get around. I mean, that that would be a, a good, you know, two-week stretch for Mississippi State fans who haven't had a good two-week stretch since this season kicked off. Where do you stand on the five-win bowl thing? My thing is these kids get a limited time to play football if you get the opportunity to play another game. Just go do it. And in some ways, if you hire the new head coach – and you accept a five-win a five-win bowl, you keep guys in the facility practicing and all yeah. that together, maybe you can garner some momentum. Where do you stand on that? I don't get it, the just shut it I, down. I don't I don't care. It, like it, it benefits your program, obviously, because you get the extra practice. It, you know, you get to say you get you get a trophy, the kids get to go and play in these games and they get the gifts and it, it's fun. You know, at the, we we forget sometimes in our desire to, you know, uh to eggbowl.com everything that we do that it's supposed to be a game. It's supposed to be kind of fun. And, you know, they say play the game. It, it's, it, it, it sort of says that it's that, that in the definition there. So I, it doesn't bother me. If you're five and seven, you get invited to a bowl, go to a bowl and enjoy yourself and, and, and try to win the bowl and be six and seven. There's no difference between being six and seven because you were five and seven and won your bowl game and being six and six and you lost your bowl game. There's no difference. So yeah, if State gets five and seven, you're going to hear me say, "Well, State's been to a bowl game 14 straight years, and only two other teams in the SEC can claim a, a streak that long." What's wrong with Chelsea? So apparently, a billion dollars doesn't buy what it used to in this world. Uh, it doesn't buy a lot of gold. <laughs> that being said, you know the last two games before the international break, they went up to Tottenham and absolutely spanked them. That was a really fun game to watch. And then another, I mean. If you don't like soccer, if you watched Chelsea's last two games, you would you would enjoy them. That 4-4 draw with Manchester City was an incredible game. I really enjoyed it. They have Newcastle this week. The, the, the next few games are tough. They have Newcastle, then they have United. I think they have Brighton in there. So they've got tough games coming up. It's just a process. And, of course, their best player has been hurt in Kunku. So he comes back I, maybe next week, and maybe they can get a little bit more firepower and get some more goals in there. But this, there were a few weeks there I was just like, they spent a billion dollars and they can't score on Brentford. What's going on here? I've been sorely disappointed in the EPL this year. We're halfway through all the way, almost all the way through November. There's been zero sackings. Has it? Has the league gone soft? I was I, hoping you know, for bloodshed. I, 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 you know, this so far this year, it's just. I think. I don't think anybody's been super disappointing. Is the problem? Everybody's kind of where you thought that. I mean, Chelsea might say they were the most disappointing team, but even they knew coming into this season that this was going to be a little bit of a process year for them. Um, and then, you know, Man, Man United might be the next one. I know your your boy Weldon has probably been chewing your ear about that team because they 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 aren't they aren't as good as they should be either. But they are their coach is in his what third year there, so they should be a little bit ahead of schedule. I'm just starving for some Trent Krim like content where it's like this wanker was in so far over his head. The British media is so much meaner. I just enjoy when someone gets fired. They, there's no mercy there. They, there, they will there kick you until you're in the ground. It's fantastic. Uh, that's why. That's why I enjoy. It. My, one of my favorite guys I follow is a Chelsea writer named Simon Johnson, who uh, he works for the Athletic, covers Chelsea. He he's English now, but he's a huge Jets fan. Okay. And so he tweets about the Jets, and he's like, "Why do I do this to myself every year?" He's just like, "Why?" And I, he he said that you know I asked him about. It. I was like, "How did you become a Jets fan?" And he tweeted back, and he's like, "I just I, that's just the team that was on TV a lot when I was a kid here over here, and I just sort of picked them up and." Like he just is the most miserable Jets fan. He would fit so well in with those guys uh, in New Jersey. He hates the Jets and yet he loves them. 
Last thing, what are your Thanksgiving plans? Is old Dick Cross joining the mix? What, what do we got on Thanksgiving tomorrow? So I, I always do my Thanksgiving. When the Egg Bowl is on Thanksgiving, I do my Thanksgiving on Saturday. So that okay. way I don't have to rush. I don't have to, you know. Plus, you know, I can't. I, I, I can't. I'm just like my stomach is just like it's a mess before that game. I'm like, so we'll do it on, on Saturday. Uh, what I like to do is, uh, you know, we got so many young guys on the beat here who are from the north or they're from far away and they can't make it back because of the game. So I invite them over. Uh, so like Stefan from the Clarion Ledger, John Sock, your, your, everybody, Ole Miss fans, favorite guy, John Sokoloff, he'll be at my home uh, and I'll, I'll cook for everybody and we have a big spread and it'll be, it'll be, we would do that and watch college football. It's great. How non-exciting is the press box now that I'm not there to spill coffee on David Murray's laptop and, you know, watch Rich Rod blow up instead of the uh, game the whole time? Every Yegg Bowl, I think about <laughs> me watching you watching Rich Rod. Like, I, I would see you move, and I'd look over there, and I'd see him pounding the table, and you you were just laughing. It was fantastic. So much fun. And then it was I, the most I, excitement I, I got our, all year that year. Our, our post-game periscope we did. Where we did we we did the recording from where Elijah Moore lifted his leg, and you were like, like the scene of the crime. I forgot we did that. We did. There was a, yeah. the ground had dried by then. It was all it was all dried <laughs> up by that point. I forgot we did that. He's Bye. Brian Haydad. I appreciate the time, my man. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Time, buddy. We'll talk again soon. Happy Thanksgiving. That's going to do it for our show today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. As always, I hope all of you have a wonderful, safe, and happy Thanksgiving. Maybe a lot of you listening to this have already had Thanksgiving, headed to the game, whenever you might be, but have a wonderful weekend. Again, thanks for being a part of the show. We'll come back with Chase on Friday and Weldon on Sunday. It's a little bit of a schedule tweak there, but we got you covered, post-game coverage, and then Weldon and I will have our normal Sunday SEC football conversation. Till then, enjoy time with family, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon.